The Law Report with Tyrone Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, as you know, once a month here on The Law Report, we run a legal clinic trying to answer a range of questions on a number of different topics. And tonight, being the second Monday of the month, it's again time to open the lines for you to ask that particular legal question that doesn't quite fit into the other topics we discuss here on The Law Report. And just before we begin, a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. And if you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook, but please remember to include your email address so that I can send them to you or if you don't have access to Facebook you can email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list so you can choose what you want. Well I'm joined once again this evening by attorney Nicolene Skuman Lowe, a director of Skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public. Now, Nicolene welcome back, it seems like the months just fly by and here you are again. Yes quite, thanks for having me. <laughs> well if you have any questions for us you can call us now on 0892 10 2010-0892-10-2010. The SABC is looking to establish whether the South African market has suitably qualified 100% local companies with proven track records and experience to provide three turnkey TVOB tender generator trailers. RFI documents are obtainable from April 2014 on the SABC website, www.sabc.co.za forward slash WPS forward slash portal forward slash SABC forward slash SABC biz info tenders. No briefing session will be held, but bidders are welcome to send their queries to the email address below, which is lushabam at sabc.co.za. The closing date is the 16th of April 2014 at 12 midday. The Law Report with Tyron Key. Well, just a reminder, you tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is attorney Nicolene skuman Lowe, director of skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public, practicing here in Cape Town. We're doing a law clinic, so no fixed topic this evening. And if you have any questions, you can call us now on 0892 10 2010. We do have a few emails to get through, but please do call us now and we will call you back as soon as we're done with those. But before we start, Nicolene, we have to talk about your event. Yeah, no, we're quite excited to be hosting a uh, triple BE, or as some others would call it, BE Symposium uh, in June this year. Um, it's promising to be a very exciting event where thought leaders will come together and it will be in the format of a panel discussion so that we can share our successes, some of the failures, learn from each other's stories really. So uh, we're quite excited about that. Uh, there's a whole list of information on our website. Uh, costs haven't yet been published, neither has the venue, but it will be taking place in Cape Town and we are looking for speakers. So anyone who feels they've got something to share in the BE space um, surrounding the five elements as per the new regulations, of course, all the information is on the website. I'll share the link with the, the Facebook followers in the morning. Um, and there's a form uh, with all the information that would be required from you as a speaker. And if you want to attend, feel free to just join our newsletter mailing list also on our website. And then we will keep you informed as our um, build-up unfolds. And the website for your information is www.skumanlaw.co.za. Nicolene, who should be wanting to attend this? Well, anyone in business really. Uh, 
whether you're a small business, um, and in BE terms, it's really between zero and 10 million is uh, considered a small business. Or if you in the mid-range level, also known as the QSE level, between 10 and 50 million in turnover. So anyone who is wanting to know how to become compliant, who is already compliant, but um, maybe has a few questions or concerns or has a few struggles that they haven't managed to um, address within their businesses. So really it is for people who want to take part in, in the wave of thought of creating sustainable business in our South African context to learn from one another and to demystify the myths, as we've called it. Great. Well, as, as I said, the website is skumanlaw.co.za, and as Nicolene says, all the information is on there. And if you sign up, which is free for their yes. newsletter, they will keep you up to date with exactly what's happening, where it's going to be, exactly yes. when, who the speakers are going to be. So a good thing to actually get hold of that newsletter. Put yourself yeah. on the list, and it will appear in your inbox with all the information on a regular basis. Right, let's get down to some of these emails. The first one is from Melissa. It's rather a sad story. Mm. She says... Where can I, can you please advise me where I can report a learning institution in Cape Town that overcharged and won't refund or give me proper calculations about my payments? If you ask about your payments, they get upset and threaten to throw you out of the academy. Each student is told a different story. Not everyone is paying the same price, some more, some less. I now have to pay more money to get an international certificate, even though I was told that I will receive an international certificate after I finished my course. I arranged a meeting with the CEO to speak about this extra payment and she got irritated and told me her staff doesn't make mistakes and lied to my face about being able to work on a cruise ship without an international certificate. I've paid 25,000 Rand for the short massage and facial course and they won't even give students any facial products for our kits even though I was told that I would receive many products. Please can you refer this matter so that an, an inspector is sent out to investigate this academy. I'm not the only one that feels like they've been ripped off. There are many students that feel the same. Oh, oh this is a tricky mm. one. I I actually did some research um, before coming here tonight um, because we, we had access to these emails before. And um, it's really a very specialized area of law um, involving um, the, the field of education, obviously. Now, your, your obvious recourse may very well uh, be within um, the ombud structure of the Consumer Commission. So, um, in terms of the payment and um, the expectation as a consumer having paid in order to receive something in return, whether it be goods or services, you could very well fall within that definition. That definition under the Consumer Protection Act is so wide that it does even include sport clubs, um, for example, your bowling club or something like that. So in theory, that may be an avenue to explore. Obviously, approaching an attorney um, who specializes in the field of education because um, it does involve a level of accreditation um, and the accreditation is really the equivalent of dealing, for example, with a builder that is duly registered with all their professional bodies. Um, and if they don't perform properly, you've got recourse to complain, to have them investigated, to have their accreditation um, stripped from them and so forth. Now, similarly, if these guys are not registered properly in terms of the, the laws regulating educational standards, then... The, the only recourse would be something like the Consumer Commission or a traditional court of law, and in that instance to approach an attorney. 
SACWA, I know, for example, CETA, all those institutions accredit institutions specifically. So the first question this person needs to answer is whether or not this organization is duly registered and if they are to report them, maybe even to contact the Department of Education for, for further leads into who to be in contact with through an ombud structure. Now, if somebody like Melissa doesn't have the funds to actually approach an attorney, would this be something that legal aid possibly could help her with or not? This is very specialized. Um, in my research today, because this also is in my field, I need to make that quite clear. So all my answers have been very based on general principles and on, on many assumptions. Even um, when going to the Department of Education's website, there's quite a few helpful um, leads, as it may be. But um, it's, it's quite a complex type of law, and, and I know uh, only a handful of attorneys actually specialize in the field. So I would rather say, if money is of concern, try and contact the Department of Education yourself first, just to find out if there is an ombud structure with registration, if they are properly registered, and without. If that fails, Consumer Commission. If that fails, but do all of this simultaneously so that you don't have issues of um, the claim lapsing due to mm. time periods with these institutions, for example, then approach the Law Society. Ask them who specializes um, in, in the area of education, um, an attorney that could possibly handle this pro bono. It shouldn't be be too hard to deal with once one knows where to, where go, to go exactly. And so that's there are really quite a special. few avenues open to her to try. At least, yes, and to try them all simultaneously. Um, as I say, the ombud structures through the Consumer Commission, um, as as the Department of Education, are all free of charge. You don't need an attorney to do that. It's usually a complaint form that gets completed. And the worst that can happen is really that the institution says they do not have jurisdiction to hear the matter. In which case, you've already exhausted one, maybe the second avenue gets us somewhere, failing which, go to the Law Society and get yourself an attorney to help you deal with this. Right, well, Melissa, good luck to you. There are a few things you can try, and hopefully you will get mm. some satisfaction out of that. Uh, we just have a few more emails, and then we'll be taking your call. So if you'd like to call us now, 0892 10 2010, you can leave your name and contact number with my producer, and we'll call you back as soon as we're done with these emails. Right, the next one is anonymous. It says, I've been married since 2009 in community of property, but my relationship with my wife is broken beyond repair. There's no respect or communication. I have a five-year-old boy which was born during the marriage. We've got two properties in East London valued at 600,000 Rand each, but I'm still paying the bond. We also have one car that we bought last year, which I'm also still paying. My wife is not working, but completed a bachelor's degree in 2009 with my assistance since 2004. We have agreed to settle as follows. She agreed that she does not want anything from me because she wants to damage the further respect or hurt Oh, she, I assume it says she does not want to damage off the respect or hurt each other further. I must keep everything to myself. For example, the properties, the car, the investments, the pension, etc. Each one will keep his or her debt. There's a loan as involved. There's clothing debt. And as my spouse is not working, I agree to maintain our five-year-old boy until required age. We've agreed to take this to the relevant divorce institution to make it a final order. My question is this. Is the settlement procedural and legal? Can it stand up in court? And can we do this like this, especially considering the assets involved? Obviously, it suits me. Well, 
In principle, any divorce action by agreement, in other words, if you reach an agreement um, regarding your, your worldly goods um, and how those are to be divided upon divorce, you can really regulate that amongst yourselves. And we must remember that the issue of um, the proprietary consequences, in other words, what happens to your worldly goods um, during the divorce is a very separate issue from the aspects of maintenance of minor children. So firstly, let's just keep those two as a very, two very clear and distinct subjects. As it comes to the, to the assets, if this agreement wasn't reached under duress, unlawfully, uh, forcibly, in any of those circumstances, then I see no problem why this is made an order of court. Both parties have agreed out of their own free will, the, the attorney will put this in proper format or if you've uh, approached the court, we do not have an attorney representing you. The clerk of the court in that court is quite well trained to help you put it to proper terms and to help it, uh, you make it an order of court. So it's, it's really a, a fairly simple aspect provided that it has been agreed and it has been agreed freely. Now, what happened if they were married in community of property? Can he still then end up with, because by the, all accounts, she said that he must keep everything. The properties, yeah. the car, the investments, the pension fund, everything. If they were married in community of property, can you still do something like yes. this? You yes. can actually do that, even though yes. if you took it in community of property, she should get half. Half of everything, mm. the good and the bad. Mm. Um, in divorce actions, there's the once and for all rule um, in other words, you want the clean, the clean break principle is, is what it's also um, referred to quite often. Um, and if an agreement that has been reached in free will um, facilitates that, the courts are quite happy. So it's usually um, the, the attorney, if an attorney is involved, um, they need to make sure that whatever agreement has been reached has been reached out of the free will of both parties. At some stage, of course, one can appeal, um, which is not, not the correct technical legal term, but just for ease of reference, you could appeal it, you could rescind it in proper legal language, um, or have it amended as such if later you feel something wasn't done properly or whatever the case may be. But it's it's a good idea if you don't have an attorney to rather get one to help you draft this agreement and to make sure that, that both parties are 100% certain and on board in terms of what they've agreed. I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I mean, they're, they're getting divorced. Um, he's basically, by all accounts, keeping everything. The only thing they're splitting is the debt. He's keeping his, she's keeping hers. Mm. Then he says, my spouse is not working. Mm. So one wonders why she doesn't want anything. That's the first thing. Mm. And he says, because his spouse is not working, I agreed to maintain our five-year-old boy until the required age. But that would be more than likely an order of the court in any event, whether he agreed yeah. or not. Um, usually, um, the the parent who provides the home for the child pays less, if anything, because they, they are responsible for the day-to-day -day care and maintenance of the child. So traditionally, the parent with whom the child does not live will be paying for the medical aid and um, school fees and uniforms. They call it more capital-like expenditures. Um, but if he's agreed to pay every single cent um, for for that, then and he's happy to do so. It's um, which is great. I'm happy about it's that. It's great. Um, so in that sense, if he's willing to do that, and maybe it's it's not a bad thing if if you make provision to pay the school directly and all of that. It also limits future potential disputes. So again, 
in terms of both the child and the revision that you've agreed, rather spend a bit of money and have it drafted on paper by a professional. Um, even if you've gone to, to the Southern Divorce Court and there is no attorney needed, um, then, then one needs to, to get that done. Okay, right. Next one is from Segran. He says, I'm a supervisor in a flat. One evening, the minor, this is a minor child, yes. was playing loud music, and I was asked by residents to go and ask him to put down the music. This was at 11 o'clock at night and, under, and on a weekday. The minor was with his girlfriend alone since his father was out. When I went to his flat, he said that I'm a stupid Indian and that the blacks are running the country. I said I would call the police. As I walked away, he punched me in the back of the head, pushed me to the ground and kicked me in the ribs, breaking two of my ribs. He took my glasses and broke them by stepping on them. He then smashed my f my flat's front window and then smashed my car windscreen. I'm not insured and I had to foot the bill for my glasses, the window and the windscreen and my medical injuries. My question is, who do I sue? Well, um, in terms of the reference to the flat, I can only assume that, that this is a sectional title scheme. And um, my first point that I want to make is there would be a set of conduct rules. So the first point of call as the supervisor uh, would be to approach the body corporate chairman of the sectional title scheme or the block of flats as it may be and to to report the violation under the conduct rules. So you get two sets of rules in terms of sectional title schemes. Um, the management rules, which regulates what the trustees can do that manage it, and then the conduct rules that do exactly that. It regulates the, the joint living and harmony, and it tries to set rules um, in order to achieve that. So that would be the first point of reporting. Um, and the body corporate can then take action in terms of the conduct rules against that owner of that unit. Now, of course, it doesn't alleviate the, the burden of the child specifically. I realize it is a minor, but um, to go and lay an assault charge with the police against the minor. Um, and finally, in addition to um, bring a, a civil suit for damages to um, reputation and all of that kind of thing. So there are more than, there's more than one avenue. Would he do that against the father though? The father would have to represent in the civil suit. The father would have to represent the minor child, the parent, the guardian. Um, the father has been mentioned, so for mm. ease of reference, let's let's um, only um, mention the, the father. father. Okay. Um, but there's more than one avenue here. There's one more than one avenue of law that has been uh, that has been transgressed, as it may be. But the first and the most cost-effective point of call would be to call on the body corporate trustees to act against this owner. Usually these conduct rules have penalties built in them and the body corporate in many instances, although it's not expected of them, could negotiate uh, on behalf of the supervisor and facilitate some form of um, monetary settlement for all the damages emotionally and otherwise that he has suffered. But it's a case you can actually, there is something you can do. Yes, of course. Okay. I mean, this is... Um, this is a Unacceptable. Classic, classic case, unfortunately. Right, okay. Stembiso says, I have a friend who is currently unemployed. She was retrenched while she was owing a bank 8,000 rand. Now she's doing domestic work to cover her living and studies with UNISA. The money she's owing to date is around 11,000. Is there any assistance or remedy for this case? Oh, that's, that's terrible. Um, 
the insurance companies these days have created um, products that deal with, um, you can insure yourself against retrenchment. Mm. So there's clearly a need for, for people who go through this to, to have some form of financial buffer if you haven't built up um, that emergency fund that all the, all the investors and the financial planners always tell us to do. Um, one of the remedies, of course, is to approach a debt counsellor. Uh, be careful. Well, that's all I can say. Make sure you choose someone that's reputable. Do a bit of a background check, as it may be. Call the NCR. Get a list of people who are properly registered. So that's the National Credit Regulator, yes. just by the way. Yes. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> so um, uh, contact the NCR or the National Credit Regulator. Make sure that whoever you choose is properly registered. And then from there onwards get references as you would uh, deal with a tenant or an employee check your references once you've established who you'll be working with that person will help you re um, uh, rearrange and um, repay your your creditors they'll also step in and make arrangements on your behalf any of the credit that has been unlawfully obtained in other words where they didn't do the proper credit checks proper assessments, whether you can afford the credit that has been extended to you, it may actually facilitate the write-off. But she was working at the time and then was retrenched. So, Yeah, but um, in many instances, um, I don't know what your experience has been, but um, recently I applied for, for extending credit with one of the financial institutions and... Um, I got it relatively easily. I haven't applied for credit for. I can't. I don't know when last I did that. Without any source documents. So oh. um, that's why I'm that's saying right. if you want to get it, um, there's. There are ways I mean, and means. There are ways and means. So in many instances, notwithstanding our legislation, some of these still slip through. So the but debt counselor will know which types of credit is lawfully was lawfully obtained and and properly obtained and which wasn't. But one thing I just do have to point out, please don't leave it because you will end yes. up getting summonses and blacklisted and sheriffs of the court and oh. don't ignore it. That's the big thing. Definitely. Rather just try and sort it out, but rather than just don't think about it and it's going to disappear, it isn't going to disappear, unfortunately. No, of course not. Rather get you know, it sorted out. Many, many clients that I've known that have fallen into similar um, kind of situations have sat down and they've worked out a plan and they've made an appointment with each creditor and they've sat them down and said, listen, this is what I'm planning to do. This is the funds. These are my circumstances. And this is what I'm going to do. Sign an agreement of some sorts and stick to it. If you want mm. to do it by yourself, by all means, at the end of the day, the creditors just want their money. So if they know you'll pay a little bit each month, then, then it's fine. But a debt counselor gives you the security that if they're really good at what they do, they know how to structure the agreements, how to put it down on paper, and how to make sure you don't pay for any additional unnecessary administrative and interest costs. Because that's what will happen if you yes. leave it. The interest is just going to keep mounting and the debt's going to get bigger. As it's, as he said, it started out at 8, it's now 11. So yeah. do something now before it gets even bigger. Definitely. Right, Isabel says, I was involved with a man for two years. It was an abusive relationship. He abused me and I left him in December 2013. However, his mother and two sisters constantly send me messages and call me. They call me up to 20 times a day. They want me to take him back. His sisters even constantly come to my home and workplace wanting to talk to me. I made it clear that I don't want him back. However, their unwanted behavior continues. What can I do from a legal perspective? Well, in terms of, um, in terms of uh, what the Americans call the restraining mm. order, um, we have something similar. We call it a protection order. 
it is based on um, imminent violence or, or a perception of, of imminent threat, um, fear of violence. So there has to be, it has to be more than just an irritation, uh, if I can put it like that. Uh, then the protection order system is quite user-friendly. Uh, in other words, you don't really need an attorney. The magistrates um, working in the family courts are, are very helpful and they can assist you in completing the forms and all of that. And it will serve the same kind of function as a restraining order would do in America. If there is no threat of violence they may not grant the protection order, which means the only other recourse you may have is to bring an application for an interdict. To An interdict is a type of application that you'll bring in, usually in the high court, to uh, preclude someone from doing something, so from contacting you, from coming into a certain area, and so on. But there, the onus is quite heavy. You need to prove that um, you've exhausted all other avenues, that it's the last resort that you're using, and what is being inflicted on you is um, uh, the right is, is being uh, uh, almost breached in such a way or, or compromised in such a way that, that you have no alternative but to um, put a measure in place to stop it from happening. Well, I don't think I'd be too charmed with 20 calls a day from the, the mother oh, no. and the sisters, and then they're pitching up at home and at her work. I mean, this is ridiculous. You can't no, do that. No, definitely not. So um, I'm saying if, if they, there's no threat of violence, mm. then your protection order, which is the more cost-effective of the two options, uh, may very well not be granted, but then you could definitely go for, for the interdict route, but you'll have to have your paperwork in order. There is a, a heavy onus to protect people from, or to prevent abuse mm. of the system, really. So it's really uh, quite important to do, deal with it properly and to have an attorney who can represent you in that. And that is going to cost a bit of money. But if you are successful, you could recoup those costs from these people that are harassing you. Well, things like, for example, when you talk about getting your information in order, if you if they're calling on your cell phone, for example, Keep do not delete locks. do not delete mm. the phone call, incoming calls. Keep them mm. as a record. If they're coming to your work, I mean, yes. can you can you take? A, are you allowed to take a photograph? I mean, I know yes, there's the uh, whole privacy thing. Can you do that? Photograph, or you can call witnesses. Maybe the receptionist or anyone who's witnessed them showing mm. up there. That would hold a lot of weight. Um, and then any abusive text messages, emails, keep everything. Um, keep everything. Um, that would be a good point. In many instances, it helps a lot if you go to an attorney and they just write what we call a cease and desist letter. Stop what we're doing or we'll take you to court in, in simple terms. So in many instances, that puts a stop to all of this. You don't have to go through the route of um, applying for the um, interdict and all of that. Right, one more um, email and then we'll get to the calls. It says... Um, my brother got married last month with a girl from Umtata in traditional marriage. Both families agreed on it and a 10,000 rand labola was paid by my family. Five days after they traditionally got married, the girl decided that she wants to go home because she's not ready for the marriage. My brother let her go. The problem is now the girl's family doesn't want to pay back the labola, it was 10,000 rand, arguing that we already wedded the girl and we can't claim back the money. Please assist. This is from Odwa. Yeah, um, this is a bit of a tricky one. Um, I'm, I must admit this is not my field of expertise. So 
what what I could suggest is um, that that we will look into it properly, and I can send you a formal email response um, in terms of what exactly is recourse. But there are traditional courts in all of our main centres in all our provinces, and the traditional courts would be the relevant um, institutions that could make a ruling on on the payment of Lebola. Uh, some of our civil courts have gotten involved. Uh, specifically in instances where you are too far away from one of the traditional courts. So essentially that's that's the only way one would be able to deal with it. Of course it's an amount that is under the threshold of the small claims courts. If you want to go the civil route and if it is possible that is of course an, an avenue. Um, the payment for Lebola does differ from, from tradition to tradition. So one will have to look at why is it paid in the first place? And that would be the key directive, whether or not you can claim it back. Um, unfortunately, it, it's not regulated by what, what we as attorneys call civil law. It's regulated by traditional laws, which is founded in customs and, and all of that. So that's why we, we, I would feel more comfortable to, to deal with the question in, in the sufficient detail that it deserves. Okay, Audra, so we will get back to you via email. We do yes. have your email address. Right, let's go to the lines. Tabung in Bloemfontein, good evening. Good evening, Karen, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I'm um, well, thanks. Good. How can we help you, Tabang? I just want to ask one thing. Um, last year, I went towards the end of last year, um, uh, me and my friend were looking to start a project where we we're going to sell eggs. So there's this old man I was working with, of which he made some uh, information search on the internet, and he got these guys from Limpopo. Now, I, could, I was not talking to the guy, I say, but uh, the old man was talking to this guy, uh, up until January, where we have decided because they were exchanging emails, and I saw that uh, the prices are good, so I, can, I could actually start that project where I can sell eggs. Mm -hmm. So he forwarded me some details, begging details, because like the project was um, was going to cost us about ten point two thousand. So he paid five thousand and two hundred, and I paid in uh, five thousand. Now the guy that we were talking with, the guy that he was exchanging emails with. Um, I assume maybe he's the guy who's responsible for an orders and stuff. I called him o o over the phone after paying because he was, he was he's not the same guy who received the money. Mm -hmm. there another guy who, of which I think of which I thought maybe is the the owner of the company. Now, after depositing the money, I called them. I told them that I have this. The money now I'm expecting uh, the delivery. So I waited about three days because they said delivery will take three days, roughly three days. I waited and then nothing happened. I called back, still nothing happened. To such an extent that uh, he started to ignore my calls. Every time I call him, he will say, No, we'll come and deliver, but yet he did not deliver. Uh, uh, up until today, office now, his numbers, they no longer, they no longer exist. But the emails that um, the, the old man was communicating with, he forwarded me some few emails. Those emails, they do have the name of the company at the bottom as well as the address. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking of maybe, I don't know, my question is, I was thinking of maybe going there in Limpopo to find out whether this company exists. So I'm not sure 
what should I do? Where do I start? And maybe who, who, who can I consult to check for me if this company doesn't really exist? Because it also has the registration number there. Okay. Well, then, um, if you've got the company name and registration number, then you can contact um, SIPSI or the old SIPRO, the company's re registration office, and they okay. will be able to tell you whether or not the company exists. Um, they can also assist you in obtaining any contact details, registration documents, um, so that you can see who the directors are of the company uh, and all of that. And that okay. way you can potentially trace, um, trace them with a phone number, try to make a phone call and try to get them to, to um, repay the money or at least deliver the goods. Um, okay. Failing that, um, get yourself an attorney rather than getting in your car and going there, if I can, if I can make that suggestion, purely okay. because while the situation is still relatively fresh, and if you've done some homework yourself, then the attorney can help you shoot off a letter immediately demanding that they either return your money within a specific period of time or that they deliver what was agreed um, within a specific period of time. And if that okay. doesn't work, then you can always, then all the attorney does is write a letter for you. Then you can take all of that to the small claims court because you'll fall under the threshold. Okay. So can maybe a bank be of any assistance there? Because after putting the money, then I was, uh, all the, the, the names and the bank details of the person who actually was money with appeared on the, on the slip. Yes, that will be very useful. Okay. Well, good luck. I, I really hope you, you get your money or your goods. Okay, thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Tabang. Good luck to you. you. You tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is attorney Nicolene skuman Lowe, and she's the director of Skuman Chaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public, practicing here in Cape Town. We're doing a law clinic tonight, so no fixed topic this evening. So if you have any questions for us, you can call us on 0892 10 2010-0892-10-2010. Bradley in Kuruman, good evening. Hi, good evening. Thank you very much for taking my call. It's a pleasure. How can we help you? Okay, um, I'll try to keep this brief. Um, my mom passed away about two and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, uh, that's my natural mom. I was adopted from her in when I was five years old, but my grandmother adopted me, her mother, in other words. Okay. okay she passed away. Um, we didn't have very much contact in sort of my midlife, but towards the end of the later days of her life, we became very close. And she disclosed to me that she had two properties, one in Calabonga and one in Pretoria. Um, there is another family member, it's a stepdaughter, uh, stepsister to me, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and I was told by my mom that she would, uh, each of us would receive one of these properties. Now, she, uh, my stepfather has disappeared. Um, of, uh, we were only in contact telephonically, and he had no other immediate family around. Um, my question is, how do I go about finding out whether there was a will registered, um, and uh, how much time do I have uh, to sort of any claim on the estate? Um, yeah, that's about it, and as cheap as possible. I am unemployed and have been for a while. I'm doing voluntary work at uh, Animal Welfare. Okay. So, 
Well, your first point of, of call would be to approach the master's office, master of the yes. high court. We, okay. we often refer to it in, in short, the master's office, um, okay. close to, to where she had lived two years prior to her death. Okay. So if, well, that would be Palabola. Okay, well then the master's office closest to there. Okay. Um, you can just look that up on the internet, on the Department of Justice website. It gives you all the offices of the Master of the High Court countrywide. Okay. So, um, you know, if there's... Not one the nearest, yeah. yeah, if there's well, not one in the specific town, there will be one relatively close. Then, okay. if you have her full names, ID number, and date of death, then yeah. that way you can uh, locate the Master's file and its reference number. They'll retrieve that from the archive, probably, because they, um, or maybe it's still active in some instances. But generally yeah. speaking, after about 18 months um, and there hasn't been any activity, then they tend to, then they tend to put it into archive. Now, if it's an archive, it just means it'll take a couple of days longer to retrieve, but eventually you'll retrieve it. And then you can really have a good look at how it was reported um, in other words, what, what assets and liabilities were reported to the master of her okay. having, as well okay. as if there was a will or not. And lastly, if any distributions have already been made, any money has been paid out. Okay. It will also give you an indication of the attorney that may be dealing with it uh, on behalf of the executor or if there isn't an attorney involved. So you know who okay. to speak to to raise your queries. Um, other than that, you should just watch the newspapers. Um, yes. You have to advertise a deceased estate in the newspaper, two local yes. newspapers to be specific, usually one English or one Afrikaans, so that yes. you get as, as far-reach as possible. Would that be a national newspaper or a local newspaper? No, it would be local. So yes. if you didn't have yeah, a lookout, you may have missed it. We're on other ends of the country. <laughs> No. But, you know, in with with all due respect to, to my colleagues, some of them take quite long with, with dealing with deceased estates. Yes. So two and a half years, you, you may be surprised how little has been done. Let me put it that way, uh, okay. which is a good thing in this case, because that means you can still, um, without having to deal with um, distributions that have already been made to people who've already spent the money or done something to the property concerned you don't have to okay. take it back or recoup it from them if if it turns out there is a claim i understand i understand thank you thank you very very much it's a okay. pleasure good luck to you Bradley. first of all okay yes the master's office is your first port of call thanks so much bradley good luck to you thank you very much thanks have a good evening thank, thank you bye-bye right off to kzn eric good evening hello Hello, how can we help you, Eric? Yes, I just wanted to find out something. I've got a situation where I've registered my company and I'm having a website with my domain. Mm -hmm. Currently, I received an email from China saying that they wanted to register my company in the domain, in, uh, register a domain with my name, but at the end is .cn, which is China. Mm -hmm. I tried to write an email and dispute that, and they said they are going to continue with it. The email, they returned the email and they said, they're going to continue with that because now it's in China. They, uh, I, I don't have any uh, some, some form of representation there. So mm. I just wanted to find out a legal route that I should take in order to stop the, that uh, whoever is trying to use my name in that site in China 
to create a website using my name, which is registered here in South Africa. Now, that's a a tough one. Um, I must say, I've also received such an email more than once um, regarding our domain. And there are a number of ways to deal with it. Um, What we've elected to do practically um, on the advice of, of our IT provider um, was basically to, to register that very domain name before they could do so. Um, as it was explained in technical terms to, to us by our technical expert, um, was that these are really emails that have one of two sources. Sometimes they have viruses and all sorts of things attached to them and sh- you should be very careful of them. Um, and in the second instance, it is um, uh, sometimes it is legitimate, in which case they're asking your permission to register. So if you register it before giving permission, then you've, um, you've resolved the problem. Uh, in many instances, they never even actually do register your domain name. So long story short, as long as you maintain your, your .co.za, presumably, or .com domain name, properly in terms of um, paying your annual renewal and all those things, they can't register something with the same domain. Um, okay. With the suffix .co.za or .com. But if they use the same name and register at .tm, which is China, is mm. it possible? It is possible. You know, you'll have to, you'll have to speak to an IT person, but... Um, because there's, there's more than one theory about these things. I've, when it happened to us, I did some reading on own accord. And according to most of the international regulations, uh, .co.za is South Africa specific. And our laws regulate how you register that, how you keep it, how you prevent someone from taking your domain name and so on. Uh, while .tm or .co is also Chinese, uh, those are regulated um to my understanding, in terms of those countries' regulations, in terms of that, so um, in some instances you can't be proactive and register uh, before they register against you. But it's a question of mitigating the risk at the end of the day. Um, so I would suggest that it's rather more than it's a question for an attorney at this stage because there hasn't been any proof that they've actually registered it um, and we haven't had this argument as to who has come first and who does .cm or co versus .co.za belong to and all these uh, all these legal arguments but rather that it's a technical person a website designer or someone with some IT background to tell you can you be proactive and pay a hundred odd rand and have that very same domain registered under this Chinese um, um, .cm or .co, as the case may be. So basically, they continue to register it uh, the way they think mm. it should be, as long as it's .cm, yes. uh, it's not .co.za, then they, yes. can, they can use it to, to work on it. But, as, uh, but Eric, yeah. as, as Nicolina is saying, I mean, you've got the .co.za registered already, have you? Yes, but you know what I did? It's uh, I used my maiden name, and uh, to to uh, on on the on my website. So mm. it's like if my company it's uh, it's in Govu mm. uh, Trading. They are using the same name Govu Trading wherever they are using. They want, but they changed the last uh, two digits of uh, of uh, instead of the .co.za they are using .cm. 
Right. That's so, my but, concern. But Eric, what, what Nicolene is saying that you could be proactive. If you have, a, have you already registered your company's website? That's already done. Yes, I did long okay. time ago. All right. So now, what Nicolene is trying to say is that if they are asking your permission, they haven't, by the sounds of it, they haven't yet registered in Trading.cm. Okay. So what yes. she says is what she did. What they what they were advised by their IT specialist was before this lot in China can do anything. You go and register in Glover Trading CM. You can actually do it yourself here. Okay. And it'll cost okay. you about a hundred rand or something, yeah, and then 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 you then you've done it, and then they can't do anything. Okay. Not then you just maintain the registration fee every year. If it's not possible, then get them to advise you what the risk to your name could be, because how many people will search um, GlovoTrading.cn? Yeah, they'll, my, they'll the key aspect that I'm scared of is if they are using the, the my, 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 my credentials, you know, mm -hmm. the, the previous experience yeah. that we, we have had, our yeah, portfolio you know, accumulated. So I don't know what they, they, they might be using there. That's, that's my key so, aspect. Eric, tomorrow morning, get hold of an IT specialist, speak to them, but uh -huh. by the sounds of it, if you register that domain name now, quickly, before mm -hmm. they can have a chance to do it, you might cut them off at the pass. You might stop the whole thing. Definitely. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you very much. Okay, good luck to you, Eric. Gosh, okay, it's, it's, but, bye bye. It's terrible. We've got to do all these things, you know. No, it's. it's um, I, I like sort of a quiet life. I don't <laughs> like all this drama. It's like too much for me. No, definitely. You know, um, even registering um, later as his business uh, mm. evolves, uh, registering the company name similarly uh, with Glover Trading, as he said, as example, um, later uh, trademarking the name, yeah, the absolutely. logo, all of those things will help. If they do end up registering the domain name, then you can prove you were first. Mm. Um, unfortunately, the internet is like a pool of shopping where you can copy, you can do all sorts of unlawful things. And unfortunately, it's from a part of the world that is renowned for doing that. Well, you're making me nervous now. <laughs> right, off to Stellenbosch. I have a nice life now. Let's go to Stellenbosch. Siba Siso, good evening. Good evening. Hi. Hello. I believe you're a law student. Yes, I am. How are the studies going? Um, so far, so good. There's no, there's no problem. Good, good. Nice that you're listening to the show. I hope we can help you with some yes. of your, some of your queries. But <laughs> I'm, you, I'm, I'm, I'm always listening to the show. It's very informative. Thank you. That's great. You've apparently got something to tell us about tribal customs. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm interested on, on the part of customer marriage. In fact, mm. I need to, I need to clarify a couple of things because these are very sensitive issues that our mm. people or ordinary people that do not know the law are faced with. Mm, yes. We'd love to hear from you if you've got something to tell us, CBC, sir. I want to take the, the, the example that was brought or the situation that was brought. The caller called mm, and mm, she said yes. the, the brother paid 10000 and and all that. Now they want to claim the money. Yes, because the wife went back. Yes. Mm. Now, now, we must understand that the Act, the Recognition of Customer Marriages Act, recognizes two instances where a marriage can be dissolved. Mm-hmm. One, it is the death by of, of either one of the parties. Mm -hmm. Two, it is the court that can declare that the marriage is dissolved. Yes. Now, in terms of the custom, by mere vision that the woman has went back home, does not dissolve the marriage. No. The court must go, they, the two parties must go to the court and seek divorce. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the court then de declare the marriage to be divorced. Okay, and that then triggers the repayment of the Lobola? Re repayment of a Lobola, we must also, I wanted to talk about that. Remember, Lobola is not a requirement. Yes. In, in, in the recognition of customer marriages. 
But in the event where the, the lady was found to be to be to be in, in fault or was the one who contributed to the to, 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 to all this saga, then the court can order that the the, the marriage the, I mean the lobola be repaid. But it is not automatically that to say the mm. lobola must be paid. Yes. Well, this is this, this is very useful. Thank you. So the fact that she left, I mean, they got married. And I think he said it was five days. five days after the wedding or after the marriage. She decided yeah. she didn't want to be married anymore, so she went back home. She, she, she must have her own reasons why she went home. And the court will listen to that to say she had her own reasons and you also have your own reasons. You might find that the man is the one who who, who is at fault. She, she, according to the email, it says that she wasn't ready for the marriage. Okay. That's what she what he says. But yeah. this is from his this one side of the story. He says mm. my brother mm. let her go because she said she wasn't ready for the marriage and wanted to go back home. No, I understand, but but the bottom line is that there there are two instances where a marriage can be dissolved. I, I will advise the, the 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 husband to say to go to the court because he runs a risk that if in the event where he passes away, she is still the lawful wife, mm. regardless regardless yes. of. Being, being staying, yes. staying apart for, for, for such a long time. She's mm. still the, 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 the legal wife here. Yes, that's quite so, true. So that is the trick part of it. We, we, our, our, our relatives, they go away and they separate and they think the marriage has been yes. dissolved, and which is not. Definitely. It's a very valid point that you're bringing to the table. Um, it, it is absolutely fundamental that this is resolved one way or the other even yeah. if there is no no order made for the repayment of the labola at yeah. least we'll we'll deal with inheritance um yeah. you know if if uh, within the specified period three of three months if you don't change your will provided you have one after yeah. getting divorced then uh, it's deemed that you want your your ex-spouse to inherit yeah, similarly yeah. if your spouse just deserts the the household it's the same with a civil marriage i would imagine exactly. you can't just wander yeah. off and then say well yes. i haven't been around for the last six months so we obviously divorced no, it doesn't work not. like that no you know and that's that's the key point here. and thank you for bringing it up it's mm. a very very valid point um, it needs the situation needs finality whether or not um, they end up recouping the labola. Yes, and and the last the last point that I want also if you can discuss about is that the let's say A now today marries uh, B in terms of customer marriages. Mm-hmm. After after two two months or three years, he decides to go and marry C in terms of civil marriages. Mm. The law in that situation says the second marriage in terms of civil. Mm-hmm. It's null and void. Yes. And and, and 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 the fact that they've got a marriage to this state, it is nothing compared to the marriage that has been concluded in terms of customer marriages. Mm-hmm. So the problem that we're having today, you find because the, 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 the wife who's married in terms of civil, he will come with a certificate, and people who, with, without knowledge, they'll think like, okay, fine, she's the, the lawful wedded yeah. woman. Whereas... The lawful wedded woman is the one who's married in terms of customer marriage. Yeah, the point here, CBC, is that basically it's it's like with anything. Doesn't I mean basically this, the this, the traditional marriage and the civil marriage carry the same amount of weight when it comes to the legality yes. of the union, provided that it's celebrated in terms of the custom mm. and provided that it's properly registered with the Department of Home Affairs once it's been concluded. Um, uh, there, there was a situation prior to the enactment of, of the um, yeah. recognition of customary marriages yes. act and, and 
um, after its enactment. So you have to, I don't recall the time periods, but there's a specific time period when you have to register your marriage. And if you enter into subsequent customary marriages, then there's a, a process to go through with permissions and uh, anti-nuptial contracts yeah, potentially yeah. and all sorts of proprietary arrangements that have to be made. But it's quite true. Um, one needs to know what you're getting yourself into. If, yeah. <laughs> you can't marry someone um, that, that claims to have been divorced, although not formally in a court of law, due to, mm-hmm. um, in terms of a customary marriage, and now you live with this person, you may have children together, heaven forbid something happens to, to him or her, and yeah. here you are not the lawful surviving spouse. Would that still also constitute bigamy? I mean, could you, can you still get arrested for that? No, luckily not. No. <laughs> <laughs> You can't. <laughs> yeah, I remember, but there always used to be the thing there to arrest people yeah. for bigamy. Yes. You know, if you married more than one woman, it was you were a bigamist, and you that kind of arrested you. Oh wow! They can't oh. do that anymore. <laughs> Luckily, that's. Oh, I can't do that anymore. Okay. All right. So, doesn't not give you guys out there free reign to go marry four or five women, just by the way. Uh, you know, make sure you know what you're doing. It's a lot of effort. Yeah. So, besides which, women are a lot of effort, as you say. We're a lot of effort. So, you know, yeah, you can't just have more than one of us if, unless you're prepared to take on, you know, the, the effort of, of more than one woman, because we are quite. And, 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 and the good part of, 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 of having more than one wife, it is very simple. Our people do not see the part of it, that the first wife must consent. Mm. And yes. if you, you don't consent, the marriage of the second wife is null and void. That, the, yeah. There is a case of, what was it, versus yes. a very recent case, where yes. the, wife, the, the first wife never consented to the marriage of the second wife. Mm. But if you, you, you leave it just like that and it, it, it goes on and on while you are looking at it, then the court will say, you have, you have consented in you, in the, the implication thereof that you saw that these people were living together, but you never questioned or you never mm-hmm. approached the court to nullify the marriage. Yeah. No, yeah. It's very valid. Thank you so much for your input. It's, it's been, great, great to chat with you. It's been great, a great conversation. Well, do call us again, Sibuzi. It's nice to yes. talk with you and good luck with the studies. Yes, Th- all the thanks. best. Thanks, I would do so. We'll keep our fingers crossed and study hard. Yes. Have a good evening. Thanks for getting through. Well, my thanks once again this evening to Nicolene Skumanlo, a director of Skumanchaka Attorneys, Conveyances and Notaries Public Practicing here in Cape Town. And she's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. We'll be running legal clinics like this one on the second Monday of every month. And Nicolene will be back with us again for another law clinic on Monday, the 12th of May. I can't believe how fast this year is going. It's frightening me now. Yeah, quite. <laughs> almost in June. No, 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 no. Don't even go there halfway through the year. Because I think we haven't got over Christmas last year yet. <laughs> the Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And just a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. Or if you don't have access to Facebook, you can email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list so you can choose what you want and then I'll send them to you. Well, on the Law Report next week, it's going to be a little different. We won't be taking any calls, but I'll be joined by Michael Bagram and we're going to be talking about the different types of employment and most importantly, we'll be discussing time limits. You know, the amount of time you have to lodge a complaint or a case at the CCMA, anything to do with time and how much of it you have before your time runs out. Well, we have so many questions from listeners wanting to lodge complaints, but we're finding that in most cases, unfortunately, they're out of time. 
time. So tune in next week, Monday the 21st of April, for all of this information. Well, in the meantime, I'll be back with you tomorrow evening just after nine with Health Matters, so join me then. Stephen Kirk is up now with some nighttime music. Hello, Stephen.